Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Diana Dini. Hey, Diana. Um, I, we got a question the other day. Um, Great. That I thought would be a, a good thing to chat with you about is uh, a little background. Is I don't know, it was like a month or six weeks or so ago, somebody sent a question in and it was looking for, is there a resource that lists all the failure mechanisms? And I think there's one or two episodes on that topic. And I even did a webinar about why we focus on webinar, on mechanisms. Mm. Uh, but I don't know of a listing of all failure mechanisms. And the hard part is, is that every day another engineer designs something unique or there's a new material available or there's a new polymer available or whatever. And we create all these brand new random ways things can fail. So it's, it's a yeah. never ending list. Um, but after all those discussions, I got a, a question a couple of days ago and, and, and she's asked, it was in the, the summarizing, but the basic question was, well, what, if I'm looking at a product and in the, and I assumed it was in the design, it wasn't clear in the question. If I'm looking at a product, how do I, identify which stresses I should pay the most attention to. And it was related to then that would give me a clue as to which set of mechanisms would maybe at play. And I, mm. hmm, okay, that's another way to look at it is look, because there's fewer stresses um, than there are mechanisms. Um, I thought, okay. But she was still trying to estimate what failure mechanisms she should be looking for or yeah it was like where should i i mean if we're well think of it as part of the discussion went back and forth it was like if you're setting up uh environmental testing or you're setting up a halt um you have to pick stresses to apply mm -hmm. and which ones do you want to accelerate or which one do you use at normal use and so on and we rarely have the capability to do all the stresses that the product will eventually see in, in and in various combinations of, of simultaneously experiencing right. different things. So we have to break that down to the ones that are most important. And that's usually understanding the mechanism. But how do, from looking at it from a stress point of view, in order to get to which, you know, which stresses cause the most damage is kind of like, the gist of the question and I'm like, Hmm, well, that depends. And I think, you know, I've, I've looked at plenty of products over the years and said, Oh, we should look at this, this, and this, but I've never stepped back and said, how do I know that? And so that was, I thought might make a good topic to discuss with you. Yeah. It might be your cumulative knowledge of uh, just being a reliability engineer and seeing things happening, right? Yeah. Oh, making things up, too. I do a lot of that. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> very, very creative when it comes to how things fail. I'm still basically a five-year-old taking apart my mom's toaster. So. Well, then you're doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you get excited and it's fun. <laughs> yeah. But the, the idea was, is, you know, it's when I look at something, I have that experience. And then when you look at stuff, you have your background and experience and we can apply that. Yet that doesn't help somebody getting started. 
you know, it's, it's kind of painful to, to, oh, I missed that. And now I know, but now you've missed it. And this product has gone off to the field and caused all kinds of problems. Yeah. So there's got to be a way to come up to speed on that. And, and that's the basic mm-hmm. thought here. Yeah. under Well, understanding failure mechanisms, there's a lot of ways you can try to get that information. And that might lead you back to which kind of stresses to apply. Is that kind of the way that you look at things too? Um, well, sometimes, uh, for example, uh, years and years ago, a client said, Hey, we're, excuse me. A, a client said, Hey, we're, we're putting a satellite in orbit and we're worried about the solder joints for the circuitry that's on this thing. And I, mm-hmm. I says, what do you mean? And he says, well, it's in a low orbit and it goes around the earth really fast. And so it goes from, you know, minus a hundred C or 100 to 200 degrees below zero to 100 above, like 80 times a day. Hmm. Well, he he had the reliability statement all laid out right there. Oh, he did. And I (laughs) said, you know, we can't even do accelerated testing on on Earth that efficiently. Uh, So (laughs) you got to, you know, you should. And he says, that's kind of why we're worried. And it was... There, but they were deliberately knew that they were going into this low Earth orbit, and they knew the temperature was going to swing wildly, and you know weight and space and all that stuff just is horribly expensive. So they weren't going to be putting in heaters and insulating and all these other factors to mitigate it. I, right. I think it was one of the smaller type satellites, and it's like you know you've got an accelerated test that we just can't replicate for solder joint fatigue, you know? And, and they're like, Oh, okay. Um, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> and I, but it's, you know, there are steps you can do to mitigate it with potting yeah. and different kinds of solder systems and do through hole. And, and I mean, all, there are technologies that can withstand that, but it's, but they started with, we're, we're going to space and they were you know, bright enough to go, oh, well, that's going to be different than down here on the lab bench. So we need to take that into account, which is smart. Yet, when you're building a brand new product and you're saying, oh, it's going to be used by consumers in Europe and the U.S., for example, or worldwide, or it's a handheld product or whatever, there are vague tables and you know listings and standards for environmental testing saying oh it's going to be dropped 10 times randomly onto you know plywood mm-hmm. or cardboard or whatever and but if you got a long list of these potential stresses which ones matter if you've got a limited time and budget and samples so i think how would you, other than our experience of looking at something, oh, a thing like this, this is what you need to look for. Is, and that comes from experiences. You know, for example, one step I would do, would recommend, is go talk to the design team and the developers and saying, what are the areas you're most worried about? What are the areas that are, the, in, in your experience, are the least robust? Which areas right. do you think it's going to fail first? And that'll create a, a short list pretty quick. That's true. And and they would also base it off of how it needs to perform because mm-hmm. they designed it for that. Right. Um, and they would also know more of the the use case for it, too. So I would hope so. 
<laughs> they yeah. would design for the use case. Yeah, that's um, worth checking. So, yeah. <laughs> so taking all of that into consideration, um, yeah, talking with the design team would help you get some of that baseline information that they should have designed to. The use space and then um, and what it's supposed to do and perform and what they think is the weakest part. Yeah. Now, this goes back to experience, though, is that when I sit next to a, an engineer run, and we're running a halt on, their, on a prototype of theirs, I almost always say, all right, we're going to apply high temperature, low temperature, vibrations, some power fluctuations, things like that. Which is the le- most likely to cause a failure and when? When do you think it'll fail? And they're almost always wrong every time. And it's it's setting them up to be surprised by what the results are. And so I, I it gives us a start, but I a lot of designers underestimate the robustness of their own designs. And mm. so one question to ask is is what are the areas that you deliberately are making like a mechanical engineer? You're you're de- deliberately making this thicker or stronger right. than it did? What kind of safety margin are you intuitively putting in places? Why is that? Well, we don't know what the variation of loads are really going to be. Oh, okay. So maybe it's applied loads or shock loads would be something we need to go explore. And would that be useful information to you? You know, kind of thing. Um, so that's one way is with talking to the development team. Yeah. And then um, if you're creating something that's brand new and innovative, you may not have a baseline of something to look at. Um, But if you're iterating on another design that you already have or that's already being produced Mm -hmm. or maybe even a competitor is doing something similar, Mm -hmm. there is information out there. You just do a little bit of sleuthing to find out what are people complaining about and, and what's failing or um, what are they trying to do with it that it's it's not working or it's failing? You're not going to get the specific failure mode, but that might give you some clues into um, what kind of stresses are causing failures in the field. Mm-hmm. No, and even your own you know product failures from previous. If you're using similar technology, you probably yes. have your own field stuff. But the idea of getting your competitors, and I've recommended that to a handful of clients, that it was feasible for them just to go buy their competitors' products and tear them down. Yeah. And or run them in competitive testing, you know, and over a range of different stresses. But the teardowns were, I remember one in particular is like, why are they using brass there? You know, and we're using plastic. And you know, brass has got a lot of structural features that plastic just doesn't. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and and then you couple that with that the the discussions. The marketing folks were doing a lot of discussions with customers and saying, "Well, we just never have problems with this part of the product, and we have problems with yours." And it was some adjustment or or tuning of some system. And the brass, when we took it apart, it was like, well, maybe that's why this is all brass, why this is a different, is metal versus a polymer. And so it was by looking at the design choices they made, it's it's a clue as to what stresses or features they're trying to enhance. Yeah, so that's sort of borrowing from the, um, the information that uh, your competitors have about a similar product. Yeah. And there's there's even more and more expectations that um, 
designers and engineers look for that stuff. Just in the medical device industry, there's reporting requirements. Anything, something bad happens with a medical device, mm-hmm. the users um, need to log it. Yep. And, and there's certain information about that that gets published. And then the other manufacturers of similar devices are expected to be looking that up and tracking it and comparing their product against that one. Yep. Uh, the, so there, there is that information out there. Well, there's a whole slew of different, um, it's more along the lines of product recalls. And sometimes they talk about what the nature of the failure mode is, or, mm-hmm. you know, usually they focus on what's the, you know, this thing uh, can collapse and spontaneously combust, you know, and it doesn't go into why or how, but, you know, sometimes they give you some clue what's going on. But you're right. The medical field is one where they are trying to help each other. I, I just remember working with medical teams that they really never want to show up on there. It's just a fear factor for them that they yeah. get ended up with these reportable incidents occurring. Um, and so they, they do it, it inadvertently has this ability, you know, in the design and development of their product, they're looking for anything that's reportable and try to design that out of the product, which in the long run, I guess is a good idea, but it sure makes their process cumbersome. I guess that's the fear-based reliability. Yeah. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's not recommended by the way. No. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the uh, teardowns or what's available in the literature. I know uh, Kirk and I were just talking about this in a recent episode is that we rarely get good information on consumer products. You know, if there's something failing, um, they might do a recall, but you never find out what really happened or what's the real underlying mechanisms. And No, that's kind of secretive, right? Yeah. And a lot of companies don't like talking about how things fail. um, And so they don't. And so we all were, were what you just described with the medical group is they're at some trigger point, they're sharing this information so that everybody can say, hey, we need to avoid this. Now, one of the things I've learned over the years, and I started with this pretty early in my career, is that, um, you know, we pay attention to what the functions are and what they're supposed to do and the quality of those. And we do the environment and the duration and probability, all this reliability stuff. But the what we start our product with and we set a guideline and we understand how the customer is going to use it. For example, the customers are going to change that almost immediately. You know, um, they're going to use it in ways we never expected. And, oh, mm-hmm. and I think as you're looking at stresses, it's, uh, it's, here's what we would like them to do. <laughs> You know, hold it like this, you know, push it with this. I remember it was a medical device. It was a uh, a, a drug dispensing cart thing and it had a keyboard on it. And they very quickly learned that they needed to make a keyboard that was resistant to the cleaning solutions they were using in these hospitals all the time. Right? Yes. And some were pretty harsh. And so they put a, a, a plastic or a coating over the keyboard and the nurses and technicians that were having to use this piece of equipment found that they had to hit it with something hard. The The pad of their finger wasn't enough to get through all the coatings to actually cause the switch to the button to 
to activate. So Uh-oh. when you type a two, it takes a lot of work. So they all had pens. And so they took a pen and would push that into it. <laughs> and so they ended up with all these holes in the coating that was to protect it from the um from the solu- from the cleaning solutions. So now you got all these openings for the cleaning solution to go underneath your coatings and hang out and never get wiped away and cause the more problems. And so I was like Wow. Well, (laughs) I mean, they, they had to use what was there. And so they had to modify it to be able to use it for themselves. If they couldn't push the button down, that, that, that was a, I would say that would be a requirement missed. (laughs) You wouldn't maybe necessarily think about, yeah, the users have to be able to push the button with the pad of their finger. That's right. And, and, and I remember talking to the mechanical engineer and they're like, well, there's tables for, you know, how, light or how hard the range of people, you know, men and women, they have all these yeah. biometric data, all this stuff. And, and so we picked a switch that was kind of in the, in this range and it should be fine. It says, yeah, the guys next door to you just put this rubber mat over the top of it. And, oh, really? <laughs> oh like, no, they didn't even, they weren't communicating. No, oh. this is what we had to protect it from the, uh, the, you know, from the solutions. Oh, okay. And it was like, hmm, would that change the amount of force it takes to push these buttons? Oh, yeah. And and then they also interviewed some of the nurses and they said, well, if I touch it with my hand, I have to go wash my hands or change my gloves. If I pick oh. up a pen and, and put the pen back down, I don't have to deal with it. And, oh. and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, it's a different use environment. Uh, but sometimes these stresses are, they're not just temperature. I think part of this original question was, you know, if we have a thermal chamber, should we always use it? I'm like, no. No, yeah. <laughs> you know, it brings up one of the things that is worth doing, and this is kind of what that example was about, is what's the day in the life of your product? How is it actually used? Is it moved? Is it got a chance to, to get tipped over? Is is there button pushing going on? How often, how frequently, how hard, with what kind of tools? Um, is it in a daylight? Is it indoor, outdoor? Is it getting uh, put on a vehicle or is it, you know, is it uh, stationary, but it could get run into or bumped into or knocked over? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the temperature variation typically going to be? What's the humidity? What's how many bugs and rodents? And we were talking about squirrels in our my garden earlier. It's like, how many squirrels you got running around? <laughs> <laughs> they will put a, a acorn in anything they can get. Yeah, room. even that keyboard with the oh, yeah, definitely. plastic covering on it. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of acorns underneath it. Um, but it's. I often would go look at. There's a mill standard, and I'm drawing a complete blank of what it is. That lists all kinds of environmental tests and how to do these testing and for airborne equipment, air you know satellites for ground based stuff, all kinds of stuff. But they list, I don't know, 47 different stresses, including fire ants and and fungus and stuff like that, which I would have never thought of. And so, you know. I've heard of fungus before. I don't think I would have thought of fire ants. But um, yeah, I mean, you see, oh gosh, you see online people take pictures of um, the 
electrical circuit box for a piece of equipment. This is in Australia, I think. And they yeah. opened it up and there's this gigantic snake coiled yeah. around right. in everything. <laughs> it it so. changes the conductivity and insulation properties yeah, a little bit. It sure <laughs> does. <laughs> also so, it makes doing any maintenance on it pretty tricky. <laughs> so but I like what you said about, you know, the day in the life of your product. And and even from when it's sitting on the shelf in the warehouse and like you said, being transported around to getting boxed up and shipped and how it's getting shipped and Mm -hmm. how the customer's opening it and all that stuff has an effect on what stresses it sees and how it could affect that performance. Mm -hmm. I remember doing that with um, a team. We're doing a handheld controller for a game system. And it's like, how is this supposed to be used? You know, and is it like your typical game controller where you have your thumbs on triggers and stuff like that. No, it's, it's different than that. And so we just kind of went through the different scenarios of what it was being designed for. And one of them was clapping, you holding it in one hand and clapping with your other hand. And have you guys thought through how much shock that actually applies and you're doing it repetitively for the duration of this game? (laughs) Like, uh, and they didn't. So they did a, a finite element analysis where they were able to simulate a, a essentially a hand clap. And we got some sensors and actually measured it, how much force different people would put on, on the product. And that circuit board inside that thing just was whipping all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and the mechanical engineer, no, oh, that'll never happen. So we took it to the lab and, you know, had a, a controlled uh, ball bearing-ish thing hit it with a certain amount of force and it broke after the third time the circuit board broke the outside casing was fine but the circuit board was just getting rattled all over the place i was gonna say i don't think i've ever seen a uh a, a gaming controller like that that might be why huh probably <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know but there's it's I remember with one of the controllers, I think it was the same controller. And one of the things that it was the Xbox controllers that I was talking to one of the guys about, and he goes, the number of times people throw it, they get mad at a game or outcome or whatever, and they throw it into the wall or into the TV and stuff. And that's usually not good for the controller. I says, that's probably not good for the TV either. Well, and I I would say that's misuse, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It says, but it's, you know, the, we take that into account as much as we can. You can't design it to work when it's encased in steel, but it, 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 it's more robust than you would have thought it would needed to be. But there's always stresses that you never imagine are going to happen. And it just takes getting the product out in the field and beta testing and getting people that are not the engineers that designed it to go try to use it and watch how they use it. Yeah. That's another technique is the, see how people use it. I remember one guy, he was trying to tell me that there, there was an interposer on a, uh, on a uh, solder attachment and had all these little spring loaded levers, things, these little shafts that would take up any dimensional differences from the, the uh, IC to the circuit board. And it would create a good electrical connection and uh, compensate for these small deviations and stuff, but allowed him to use it like in a socket. So you could replace the, the circuit, the uh, integrated circuit uh, without solder and it would clamp in and do all this other cool stuff. 
And he says, we've never had any problems with this. And this was obviously a sales guy. And so in three seconds, they said, what if it does this? And how'd you do that? And I've never seen that before. <laughs> it's <was laughs> like, well, it didn't take much of anything. I just put my fingernail on it and went like that. And it goes, and it didn't take, I didn't even have to think about it. I was just handling it. And well, I have never seen anything like that before. That's unique. That's never going to happen in the field. If I can make it happen, just wait. (laughs) But yeah, it's a a day in the life, uh, some beta testing or alpha testing, you know, get people in there, play with it, talk to the design teams, you know, see what they're doing. Um, Find those listings of environmental uh, whether it's mill standards and there's various other standards in different industries that list all these tests that get done. And those are usually stress-based of some sort. What kind of stresses is the industry think is relevant for your particular product? Um, field data. What did I miss any that we chatted with day in the life? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Just, you know, any information that you have available that you may have to reach out for and, communicate with people, but um, just try to learn what you can. And then that'll help help inform or help you decide which stresses might you might need to test for on your product. Yeah. Now, I think we just came up with like 4,000 stresses for every new product. But at, <laughs> at some point, you got to start going, right, coupling it with what it has caused problems for you. And, yes. and what are the things that you're seeing in prototypes in, in early designs and areas of concern? Those are the priorities, I think, or anything new. If you just don't know how this material is going to behave, um, what are the stresses that are likely to cause it to fail? And you start from there. And, and any Anything new or what you think is the weakest component or yeah. weakest subsystem? And then be prepared to be surprised because there's Mm -hmm. going to be something lurking there that you just didn't anticipate. And at 22 Celsius and only when it's powering up, it will, it'll cause a problem. There's always, it just, in my experience has been be prepared to be surprised, (laughs) but have fun. You get to break stuff. That's the best part. You get to break (laughs) stuff. So anyway, I think we, Got a few parts to that. I'll have to re- revamp my answer to her to say, oh, here's a couple of other things to think of. So thanks for chatting with me on that. No, thank you. Thanks for uh, inviting me to talk about it. All right, cool. All right, well, thanks so much, Dana. And if you're listening to this and I've got some other ideas of ways to you know, sort out which stresses and which mechanisms you need to pay attention to as you create a new product or a new system, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And there's a couple of ways to get in touch with us there. Uh, Diana and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and our contact information's on our about pages on the site. So we sincerely look forward to hearing from you and seeing what unique ways you can cause damage to your products. Yeah. (laughs) Share it with everybody and then we'll all learn. Exactly. All right. Thanks, Dana. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.